Welcome to the Mojo Maker for Women in Tech podcast, where you will learn career strategies and techniques to help you break down barriers, make more money, and thrive in your tech life at work and at home. Technology has never been more mission critical to our online stay-at-home world, and you are the key to its success. You'll hear from diverse women in tech as well as experts who share both personal and professional strategies so you can transform your work and your workplace from the inside out. I'm Karen Morstel, former Silicon Valley tech leader and serial CISO for iconic brands like AT&T Wireless, Microsoft, and Russell Investments. I hope you will join me in my mission and message of resilience and transformation to make an inclusive and equitable tech industry. If you find this show helpful, please leave us a like and share it. And don't forget to hurry over to createyourleadingedge.com to join innovative and affordable group coaching for women in tech on your terms. And now on to Mojo Maker for Women in Tech. This week's guest is Lana Wolf. You'll hear all about her mission to help women overcome fear and live their best life in this episode. Since Me Too, we are all still navigating the confusing issue of inappropriate attention in the workplace. So if you are a woman in tech, maybe you're in a boot camp and you're getting unwanted attention via Slack or text from a colleague, what do you do? Do you set boundaries and stand up for yourself, or do you file a complaint first? Lana became uniquely qualified to explore this question after the man she tried to help confessed to murdering her, but she survived and is now helping women everywhere to not live and act out of fear. Have a listen. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Mojo Maker for Women in Tech podcast. Today, I have with me Lana Wolf. She lives in Oregon with her dog, Tasha, and spends a lot of time in Colorado, which makes you one of my favorite people from Oregon and Colorado. (laughs) She travels throughout the U.S., and after spending 20 years in corporate accounting, she embarked on a new career as an author, speaker, and life coach. Now, Lana had a near-death experience. And I've asked her to share that with you a little bit today. So just kind of a spoiler alert, there's a little bit of a story here that I want Lana to be able to share with you. And it's quite dramatic. She had a near-death experience. It's documented in her book, Like a Moth to the Flame, A Fatal Attraction. And she's now actively pursuing her passion to help women overcome fear, find inner peace, and live the life of their dreams, which is so relevant to everybody listening to the show today. So, Lana, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah, you have such a dramatic story and impactful. And I think the thing that really, really struck me when you and I had a chance to get to know each other and talk was that this is a story of overcoming adversity of monumental proportions. And it's not just what happened to you physically, but also what happened to you emotionally and mentally. So I would love for you to share as much of that as you feel comfortable with the audience to let them understand what that magnitude was and how that has propelled you into what you're doing today that's so impactful to help women. I mean, like you said, I had a corporate 
accounting career where I would spend 20 hours overtime a week easy, you know, the, the typical workaholic. But then that one night when I was attacked, like six hours, I was beaten to a pulp. And the final breaking point was he was stomping on my neck, trying to break it. And I said, God won't let you kill me tonight. And he stopped. And he actually confessed to murdering me later that day. And then there I was left to pick up the pieces. And that was my journey of overcoming the the post-traumatic stress, the entire stress and reinventing my life. And this was a person, just so that everybody understands, this was a person who was in your circle. Was this a stranger or somebody who was close to you? Somebody I knew and had been trying to help. And, you know, the power of drugs. He had mental illness and was on a, a drug rampage hearing voices. And I was, you know, something that needed to be destroyed, according to the voices, his, his alien voices, he said. So... Wow. This is really relevant to a lot of conversations that have been happening in social media with uh, the women in tech groups. And so I want to I want to explore this a little bit with you, because I think women are really, truly afraid. A lot of women are really, truly afraid that harassment, it could be relatively mild harassment, but any harassment counts as harassment. Right. I'm not trying to excuse it. But there is a level of fear that's generated by this harassment. So your your message and your story here and what you do to help people is so timely because here's the equation that I'm kind of curious about and I'd love to explore with you on the on the show is you had a, such an a, a extraordinarily difficult experience, life-threatening, nearly killed you. He thought he did kill you, I guess. Yeah, he did. And and he and he intended to, and it was because it was someone that you actually were trying to help. Did you see any signals that told you ahead of time? And and by the way, I'm not blaming. I'm just curious. Was there anything that gave you any kind of a clue that this person might be a dangerous character? Oh, way too many. I mean, it's in the book. It's how many times, that's why it's like a moth to a flame. How many times I allowed him back into my life, even though I knew he was dangerous. And you talk about all women having fear. It's it's funny because I was in a conference before the COVID and there was a room of like a thousand people, mostly women, like 800 to maybe even 900 of them were women. And they asked the women, you know, everybody to stand up who had experienced fear like in the last month and in the last week and even in the last two days. And none of the men stood up. It's the women. And it was like just walking down the street sometimes they experience fear because, you know, of perceived or, or unperceived, but so many women do experience a fear of things in their life. Right. And it can be in the workplace. It can be at home. I know for my, I, as you talk about this, it's bringing back my own thoughts about how I always carry something with me when I'm in the city and I have to go back to my car in the parking garage late at night after dark. I always have a certain way I carry my keys so that if I have to use them, I can. I think all women have been trained to do that or instinctively do something like that or call a friend or have your phone on like speed dial to 911 or whatever it is, because I mean, you hear horror stories of things that have happened. So I would love you to tell us a little bit about the way that you have approached this, what you find is effective, because you obviously had to overcome what I'm guessing is 
monumental fear before you could get on with your life. Like, don't tell us about that. Yeah. Anytime somebody walked behind me or I saw somebody in a hoodie, I mean, it didn't even have to like look like the guy, but just some guy in a hoodie, you know, you'd get that anxiety, that panic attack, that freeze, you know, the post-traumatic stress. It's way, way less now. And I've got, actually, I've got a book coming out and it goes over the eight steps I took to help overcome the PTSD. I mean, I, the first year I was like taking pills at night to go to sleep, taking pills in the morning to wake up and go to focus at work. I mean, it was a a total basket case. So the eight steps are, I mean, the biggest one was exercising and setting goals is the other one because that year I chose to climb 14, 14ers, you know, in Colorado, there's what 54 mountains, right? 54, 14ers, 54, 14ers. And so I did 14, 14ers in 2014, the year it happened and going out every day. And I didn't even make it up the mountain every day that I went out because there was blizzards, lightning storms. I mean, you have to turn around for your own safety, but I, you know, I met that goal getting back into shape with, you know, all the, you know, the smashed lungs and the, the neck and all the other stuff. But that was key, I think, was being out in nature, getting sunshine, getting exercise, and just challenging myself. You know, if I can do this, I can do anything. Yeah. And that's, you know, like I said, I've got these eight steps in this book that help women, again, not even through this traumatic experience, but just the anxiety, the daily anxiety of, you know, feeling overwhelmed, the too much, the, the negative voices. I mean, that was the other thing holding me back was, you know, my mother's voice of what would the neighbors think, which is the title of the book. You know, it's like the fear of exposing yourself. And so besides exercise and setting goals, it's getting enough sleep, it's eating healthy, it's uh, journaling with gratitude, and just staying active. I mean, the first year I was out with my dogs all the time, hiking and everything, and then my contract stopped and I went home and I sat at home and I just felt the spiral of depression and I had to get out. I had to like go meet people, go do something. Because if you're not active, your mind just gets back into that, you know, depressive mode, the fear mode. Well, there's something I'm sure you've seen it in your research to be said for being in nature. Yes. It's very grounding. And the beauty that we can appreciate around us actually puts us in a part of our brain that Shirzad Kamini wrote the he wrote the book on positivity quotient. He calls that our sage brain instead yeah. of being in our saboteur brain. And, you know, and then there's the other one is the breathing techniques, which you can do at the office, you know, to help stay focused or right before you have a presentation or meditating just to, to relax. And my other one is the, it's just self-care in general. It's making the for me list. And like I said, my, my new motto now is like, fill your bucket before you kick the bucket and checking things off like rafting through the Grand Canyon and hiking the Pacific Coast Trail, all the things that most people don't take time for because, again, work obligations, family obligations, the lack of money or whatever. But if you want to do it, you'll find time. And I think everybody should make themselves a priority and find the time. Yeah, there's a saying, I guess, if it's on your must-do list, it'll happen. If it's on your should-do list, it can get reprioritized. So you're telling us to make sure that we put this on our must-do list. 
every day. I mean, even if it's something simple like taking a walk in the park or buying yourself a flower, it's those little things that give you joy every day mm-hmm. that are important. And, yeah. you know, that's yeah. what I help people, you know, realize how to set their bucket list and how to set the daily little, you know, feel good moments too. So that at the end of their life, I mean, my mother, when she was in the nursing home, was like so many dreams that weren't fulfilled because, you know, never enough time, never enough money. And how many other people, I mean, I, you read stories. I think Ronnie Brayer had her study of people in hospice of all the things that people, you know, wish they had done throughout their lives. Yeah, that's one of the saddest things ever as a as a palliative care chaplain and also caring for multiple family members. It's so easy to get to a point in your life where you realize you just ran out of options. And that's definitely a really rough place to go. It's a it's a tough place to be in. And so many people have to deal with that. So I love that you're making it a must do now, because the truth of it is it it isn't just play. It's an essential part of how you stay healthy. And you're living proof of that. And there's studies that show when you take time for yourself, it does increase your work productivity, increases your focus and increases your health and your longevity. There are so many benefits. But again, like you said, if it's not on the must do list, it's always pushed to the back burner. Yeah, I learned that when I there's a, a woman who's on the Internet and she run, runs a one month art retreat online uh, from Hawaii. And I just adore her. I've got to put it in the show notes. I can't pronounce her name because her middle name, it's Amber Bonici is her first and last name, but her middle name is Hawaiian and it's really a mouthful for me. Um, So I won't try to do that here. But what she did was she had a different artist or somehow creative person every day of the month. And you'd know in advance what it was you needed to have ready in the morning. And then you went through this, this creative exercise and there was some kind of thing that we did, whether it was a painting or, or something that we would have done by the end of it. And it seemed so incredibly indulgent to me to take that time every single morning when I had so much work to do and focus on just doing the art and being in it, like being fully present in it, which I suspect is something else you're very good at. What I found was my productivity went through the ceiling. So even though I was taking an hour and sometimes two hours a day to focus on my creative side, which being in nature is triggered by the same thing, I got so much more done, even though I was taking this time out of the of the schedule, rather than grinding away at it like I normally do. <laughs> you know what's ironic is now when I take a contract, I'm like, oh, it's got to be a flexible schedule because... I'm going to take my dog for a walk on the river for an hour every day after, you know, unless it's a blizzard, you know, about two o'clock because that's when it's beautiful. And and I don't want to wait till after work when it's dark and everything else. Yeah. And it works. It works. I mean, for me and the employer, because they get a better result at the end of the day. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And if you're a leader in an organization, you're setting an example for other people, Self-care is so important right now, and so many people are not getting enough of it. And I'm sure this sounds like a tremendous luxury to any woman who's out there right now doing her job, 
remotely with kids at home who are needing to have homeschooling going. It's a real tough space to be, but fitting in some kind of way of connecting with nature, even if it's going out in the park, the play park or your front yard and standing barefoot on grass. Yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah. So I'd love to explore something with you because this has come up on social media a few times in the last week in some of the tech women's groups that I participate in. And it's a bit of an eye opener for me. So I'm kind of doing a gut check on myself. (laughs) I'm putting you on the spot on the air to ask the question. The debate that's going on right now is how do you handle unwanted attention? We've done other episodes on the show about this, but unwanted attention can be things like you're in a boot camp and there's another classmate in the boot camp who's behaving himself in the Zoom, you know, meeting, but privately texting you inappropriate remarks and comments on Slack or or text messaging. And how women are reacting to that has been really quite interesting to me because my my this doesn't always work. I'll be the first to admit that. But my first intention or my first reaction, I guess, is to say, knock it off. Like this is, I don't want your attention. Just, you know, get a grip and stop. But the debate that's been going on seems to be about 10% of the women uh, believe that that's the right approach. And the other 90% want to escalate immediately this behavior to a to an administrator or someone who will take action and punitive action with this individual. So given your experience, I'm bet I'm betting that you have some thoughts on that. So my view now is I think it's generational and it's the Me Too. The Me Too movement has put it out in the forefront where it's okay to confront and to go ahead and set your boundaries. I mean, that's the biggest thing is you're setting your boundaries and not only just saying no, because just saying no between the two of you, is not going to stop it. And for it to stop, it has to be escalated. And again, I think that has a lot to do with the power of women now through the me too of saying, yes, this has to stop. And if we all take a stand, then maybe it will stop because, you know, I used to, blame a couple of women. It's like you're complacent in allowing this person to continue that behavior if you don't let it known that that behavior is wrong. Yeah. So are are you saying that the women should speak up and escalate it or they should just go straight to an escalation? I think they should say no. I mean, again, attempt the, the first level, just say no. But if it doesn't stop two or three times, I mean, yeah, escalate it. Yeah. That's kind of where I'm at. It's like, I personally, now I'm probably going to get a lot of hate mail for this, <laughs> but I personally find it empowering to say, I have a voice and I'm going to use it. And what you're doing, person, is inappropriate. I don't appreciate it. And you need to stop it now. Yeah. And they may not stop, right? In which case, I have to choose a different action plan. They might even get worse. And the reason I think that your story is so important is because this person got worse, right? He did over, yeah, over time. How do you stay out of fear of that happening again? How do you do that? 
Well, right now I know he's in jail. I mean, again, he confessed to murder. But as far as other people, I don't want to live my life in fear. I still go out hiking by myself. I still travel across the country. I mean, I have my dog. But if you're living in fear, then they won. And, I, you know, again, not everybody can get to that point. I've got a friend that says I have ataraxia, which is just the state of calm and letting what be be. And then people you know, put a lot of money for that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, part of it might be spiritual. It's like, you know, let go and let God. It's it's what will happen is going to happen. And if I'm staying in fear, then I'm not enjoying life. And that's my goal is go out and enjoy life because life is short. Yeah. I guess, you know, then you said it was generational. Can you describe a little bit about what you mean that what what's the generational breakdown? Do people who are, you know, the pre me too generation, I guess you could call it, that would be Gen Xers and boomers. And then we have, you know, Gen Zers and millennials. Do they kind of follow along different lines about how they feel about this? I mean, I don't know specific generations, but I think like the boomers, you know, they were taught, you know, to women submit to your husbands. And yeah, that didn't work for me, actually. Exactly. (laughs) You know, and as children, it's like, you know, you should be seen and not heard or whatever. All the things it's like, it's like they were conditioned to please people pleasers. I mean, women took care of the men, women didn't want to ruffle feathers because that was unladylike. And again, I'm not for sure where that generation breaks, but I see it definitely in more of the older women that people pleasing and afraid to ruffle feathers attitude before they get to the point of, yeah, I'm value too. And start, you know, relaxing into taking time for themselves. Yeah. You know, this is a, I've never shared this publicly outside of a group of, of people. But I think the thing that was the real breaking point for me was when I will say I was, a, I don't like using victim as a word to describe myself, but I was the object of an attempted abduction. And I was only 17 years old by myself walking through a city market in Cologne, Germany. Um, I was a student studying German at the time uh, in Europe. And I was literally like carried off by a man and I couldn't get, bring myself to be rude. (laughs) I couldn't, I couldn't bring myself to, you know, stomp on his instep and, and scream and make a scene because I was really trained to be a nice girl. Do you know what I'm saying? Right. Nice girls don't fight. And, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know whether that was part of me too. It's like, I don't want to hurt him. I don't want to fight back and hurt him. Even though my life was in danger. It was this weird twist. It's like, I can't hurt anybody. But yet, I mean, it's, you've got to protect yourself and take care of yourself first. It's like the, on the airplane when they say, put your mask on first. And that's, yeah. again, take care of yourself. The self-care is important because it benefits everybody around you. Yeah. it. You know, the other piece of it is we aren't going to have other people around us. The, the, that abduction, I was very fortunate that somebody who knew me spotted what was going on from across the city square and ran over to help. Otherwise, who knows where I would have ended up. But well, in my situation, you know, I was 
it was winter and my nearest neighbor was couldn't hear anything. There was a blizzard outside. Even if I had gotten outside, it's like, where would I go at one o'clock in the morning or two o'clock in the morning? I had nobody except for myself. And, right. you know, by the grace of God, I was spared. That's incredible. Your story is so incredible. So that's, you know, this is the thing. I'm curious. I'm just fascinated, actually, by this dynamic because of the number of young, younger women, I will say, not young, but younger women who feel that the appropriate thing to do is to call this harassment, to, to see themselves as victims and to need to go to a third party in order to get help, in order to get the other person, you know, to get the third party to do something that will stop the behavior. And I just find that if if there's anybody listening to this right now who's having kind of a gut-level reaction to what we're talking about, I'd love to hear from you. And I'm sure that Lena would love to hear from you as well, because the real question here is, what is it that's making an entire group of professional women feel like they, A, cannot, and B, should not use their own voice to stop behavior in the workplace that's inappropriate? I don't get it. You know, but it goes back to the behavior from some of these men and or even women of sometimes is it's almost like conditioned society expects that of men to be the macho, be the, and until society learns that that behavior isn't appropriate. And I think maybe that's what these, the me too movement is doing is saying, Hey, that's not appropriate behavior and calling it out. Right. But, but who's doing the calling out? I'm not questioning calling it out at all. Right. I'm saying if this, and poor men, (laughs) in some ways, and I'm going to get a lot of hate for just saying that, but here's the thing. You're absolutely right. We have a long cultural history of the pursuit not being, you know, men's pursuit of women being seen as a game and not seen as invading her space, being unwanted, being inappropriate, not in the workplace. Do you know what I'm saying? And if I... It's not my taste in music, but all I have to do is listen to a certain genre of music that still speaks of women in very derogatory terms and speaks of men in very violent terms. And the relationship between men and women is not one of mutual respect and collegiality. It's just not. And that's bombarding people. We still have that out there. Like we permit it. And then we expect somehow that none of that's going to have an effect and everybody's going to behave perfectly. It's a little weird. I mean, I think women are just tired of seeing it and they've felt no no other choice except to report it. I agree with reporting it after we know that we have no, that they're not listening to us. Right, right. Is that what you're saying? Right. I just want to make sure I'm clear. Right. So yeah, not the first time it happens, obviously use your voice. That's what they teach you, no bullying and all that other stuff. But I think, again, women have been subjected to this for so long that they're tired of it. And that's that's power in numbers. That's what they have to report it. Yeah. No, I totally, I get that. 
Um, it's a tricky time, isn't it, for people? And here's the other piece of it I think I, I would love to ask you about because there, this phrase of victim blaming, right? It showed up in the Me Too when all of a sudden we were finding out there were all of these women who had been subjected to rape, sexual harassment, um, sexual assault, and didn't say anything until much later they came out and said, yeah, that happened to me too. And then the question that came out was, why didn't you say something then? And it was almost as if we were second guessing. And I'm wondering, and I hope you don't mind me asking this, but I think it would be really helpful for people to hear. Did you encounter anyone saying, Lana, you should have known he sent you all these signals. What were you thinking? I mean, I'm not trying to say that that's the case because I can see that I know you well enough in the time that we spent together to know that you're a compassionate person and you were helping him and that he had a mental health issue. But what happened with you? That's just it. It's like, yeah, there are people. It's like, why did you take him back that time or that time? And, but then how many times did I take him to the hospital? And there was that, that guilt of, you know, if I just left him, would he die? If I just left him, would he, you know, it's hard. It's hard to be in the situation and I'm in other groups and it is, it's the, well, why didn't you leave? You, you know better. And I see the, the red flags and I can help you get out, but I can't get out of my own situation. And it's, you know, until you live it you and experience it, you'll never know those reasons. And again, it's, it's, I think in my situation, it was the, you know, I had promised to help him and I did everything in my power. And I was at that point kind of blinded to how serious it really was, you know, yeah, he, he'd acted out before and he'd done this before, but I never thought he would try to kill me. Man, that's like a worst nightmare. I mean, how could it, it couldn't get worse. No, I don't think it could. I mean, actually I have seen women who have had it worse, but in reality, no, it, it doesn't get worse. And they say what the seventh takes seven times on average for a woman to escape a, an abusive relationship. And how many women don't? I mean, especially with this pandemic, you're hearing the stories of people trapped because they can't leave with the COVID. They can't, I mean, all the moratoriums on um, the evictions and the moving and this and that. It's it's made the situation of domestic abuse highlighted. It's like things are worse necessarily. It's just you hear about them because these women have no place to go. The shelters are full. They're not taking them. They're because of COVID. They can't take as many. And so women are stuck. We're going to hear so much about that when the dust settles from COVID. It's just, it's going to be another wave of things that we all need to pull out some extra compassion and find some resources to help a lot of people, a lot of mother, a lot of women and a lot of children. So I'd love to kind of pivot that conversation just a little bit, because right now what you're doing is you're using all of this experience and the wisdom gained from experience to, and you're a very compassionate person. So you're, you're putting this to work to help people with what a coaching program. Is that, is that what you do now? I do help women overcome some of their problems uh, coming out of domestic abuse relationships. But I also work a lot with women in corporate America who just need to 
you know, that help of finding the me time, getting over those limiting beliefs of not enough time, not enough money, not enough whatever, helping them set realistic goals, helping them take the steps necessary to reach those goals, whether it's the one-week goal, the five-year goal, or putting, you know, that big bucket list 10-year goal that you want to go to Machu Picchu or whatever. Um, You know, it's not just traveling either. I mean, it could be writing your book. And if that's one of your goals, you know, helping set the steps necessary to reach those goals. Yeah. Begin with the end in mind, I think, was one of the rules from Stephen Covey many years ago. And then make sure you put those and it, it put those on your list. And, and it, it is a really valuable thing to do. Every time I have created a list like that within a few years, no matter what I put on that list, I have done it. And I know some people are going to think that's because Karen's badass or something. And <laughs> the truth of it is, is that when you tell your brain that that's a must do and that that's a priority, we find a way to get it done. Right. And my new group now on Facebook is Intentional Destiny, and that's helping set your life with intention so you can have the you know the desired outcome that everybody should deserve that end of life where no regrets. Very cool. In- Intentional Destiny on Facebook. So is that a group that anybody can join? Right now, it's open to anybody. Awesome. So it, it so go to Intentional Destiny on Facebook. That's where you can connect with Lana's program in a free group. That's pretty cool. Pretty cool. Yeah, I hope you yeah. build a really big community there that will share a lot of this information with one another so they can be supportive. Well, full disclosure, I just got the uh, tax ID number for it last month. So it's brand new. <laughs> Well, cool. Well, this is a great way to get it started, isn't it? It is. And um, the other way to get a hold of me is my other website is lanawolf.com. lanawolf.com. So, Lana, I want to give you some time to kind of collect your thoughts here because I want to ask you to share with the women who are listening, women and their allies who are listening, who have fear in the workplace who have fear of other people's intentions, have fear of other people's inappropriate attention or or inappropriate behavior, I wanted you to share with them what your advice is for them as they move forward. You know, I never let the fact that I was a woman stop me. And I think that's the mindset you have to have is you have as much power as they do. and don't, again, whether it's in the workplace or outside the workplace, don't let fear stop you. You're just as smart. You're just as talented. And even the fear of, oh, I have to work more or work hard. My sister fell into this. It's like, she was always taking all the overtime because, well, that guy had to go to the son's soccer game and that guy had to go, you know, take his wife to dinner or whatever. And she felt that she had to do more to compete. And yeah, my advice is, Set your boundaries and make it known that you're valued too. Not only make it known, but feel that and believe and that. It. Yeah. And and hold that as kind of a core principle. One of my things I teach like in um, setting your goals is feelization. So how would it feel if you were doing everything in this job like you wanted it to be? How would it feel? And then live it. Cool. Oh, I like that. You're embodying the visualization exercise. Yes. 
you don't just visualize it. I mean, you can have those vision boards all over the place, but actually feeling it and being it and then living it. Feel it, be it, live it. I love that. Hey, Lana, this has been so helpful. This has been a valuable conversation for me to have with you. I think it is a very valuable conversation for the professional women who are out there dealing with unwanted attention and how they can attend to it. And I can't think of a person more qualified to talk about the fear factor and how to overcome it in that kind of circumstance than you. So I really appreciate you being here and sharing all of that and being so open with answering all of my questions today. No, thank you for having me. I mean, that's, again, that's my goal is helping people overcome their fears, overcome those limiting beliefs. They're worth it. Life is worth living. Life is worth it. I love it. Thank you, Lana. I appreciate it so much. Thank you. That's it for today. Thanks for joining us. We're on a mission to help you make your tech life the best it can be. And a big part of that is helping you handle adversity like a boss. You can get more right now with our free gift for you over at beanally.today to download Flameproof, your anti-burnout guidebook. If you love our podcast, don't forget to subscribe and let others know. You can also get more insights from our weekly podcast digest on topics that are relevant to you, your allies, and your entire organization. So remember, you have the ability to create the tech life you love and to make a difference for our industry. See you next week. And in the meantime, be well and be an ally.